The title of this talk is Resolution for a New Decade. Let's begin with a word of prayer. Father, thank you so much for the privilege it is to gather together again here this last Sunday of the year. Lord, we ask that you would prepare our hearts for the word. That, Lord, we would have responsive hearts, humble hearts that receive your word, that hear what you have to say and respond in faithfulness and obedience. We want that, Lord. So by your spirit, would you produce that in us? Help us, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, a new year often brings resolutions and renewed commitments to things we value, right? Things like exercise or family, paying off debt, maybe devotion to God is up there. These are just a few examples, things that you might make a renewed commitment to. Well, in 2 Kings chapter 22, the word of God brought a clarity and conviction to a young king named Josiah, and it produced a resolve that had this ripple effect on everyone around him. It sent Josiah searching and asking and renewing his life and the life of the nation. But what he found out is that behavior modification won't do. Looking to someone else's faith won't do. So what does a responsive heart to God's word look like? And what does an ancient king's resolve have to do with our own resolve coming into 2020? Let's look at 2 Kings 22. We'll begin in verse 1. Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 31 years. His mother's name was Jedidah, daughter of Adaiah, and she was from Bozkath. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and followed completely the ways of his father David, not turning aside to the right or to the left. In the 18th year of his reign, King Josiah sent the secretary, Shaphan, son of Azaliah, the son of Meshulam, you're going to have to bear with me with these names, all right? Just go with it. To the temple of the Lord. And he said, go up, uh, go up to Hilkiah, the high priest, and have him get ready the money that has been brought into the temple of the Lord, which the doorkeepers have collected from the people. Have them entrust it to the men appointed to supervise the work on the temple, and have these men pay the workers who repair the temple of the Lord, the carpenters, the builders, and the masons. Also have them purchase timber and dress stone to repair the temple, but they need not account uh, for the money entrusted to them because they are honest in their dealings. Hilkiah, the high priest, said to Shaphan, the secretary, I have found the book of the law in the temple of the Lord. He gave it to Shaphan, who read it. Then Shaphan, the secretary, went to the king and reported to him, your officials have have paid out the money that was in the temple of the Lord and have entrusted it to the workers and supervisors at the temple. Then Shaphan, the secretary, informed the king, Hilkiah, the priest, has given me a book. And Shaphan read from it in the presence of the king. We'll pause there. There are three things we're going to explore in this story that will unfold before us. First, God's word is found. Second, a responsive heart is found. Third, the greatest reform ever is not enough. So first, God's word is found. Was it hidden? No, it was lost. And this is what happens when we turn to other things, when we forget or neglect God's word. And here Israel, had Judah had been neglecting God's word, his law, and so they lost it. They lost it. 
the northern kingdom of Israel, which was under Syrian rule, and the southern kingdom of Judah, led by, by King Josiah, had quite the past, to say the least. There was this clear pattern of forgetting God's law and turning away from his word and turning to other gods, idols. And like anything we give ourselves to, we can, after a time, begin to incorporate things that were, we were, never, meant, that were never meant to be a part of what we were giving ourselves to. It started after King David's reign when his son Solomon began to, to, to really bring in these pagan gods and false gods into the temple. He dedicated new buildings to these pagan gods in honor of his many wives. If you're wondering if that's bad, it is. But there are two kings mentioned repeatedly, Jeroboam and Manasseh. And these two kings, they turned the nation away from the Lord by turning to gods of neighboring nations and deciding to worship Yahweh, uh, the true God of all, how they saw fit. And there were glimmers of hope along the way. There were times of repentance, but it never stuck. And so when we read about a king like this, oh, it's like a breath of fresh air. I don't know if you've ever read uh, the Chronicles or the Kings but as you're reading, you're, you're reading about these kings that are supposed to be upholding the law of God and leading the charge, being wholly devoted to God, and, and they're not. And you're just like, ah, oh, but then you find this guy. So we're dropping in on Josiah's, 20, uh, Josiah's reign, and he's 26 years old in this chapter, chapter 22. And he's in the midst of bringing a reformation to the nation of Judah. It's extensive. Renovation is happening everywhere. He wants a return to the worship of Yahweh exclusively. And these reforms include the repair of the temple. But not only the repair, but the removal of idols as well. And that's why we see all this movement in these first few verses. The doorkeeper, the builders, the masons, the carpenters, the secretary, the high priest. All these people are involved in bringing the reform that was needed to the temple and to, to, to the nation helps us understand how perverted worship had really become in that day and it's sobering to discover where we've mixed a whole lot of culture and some personal preferences and maybe a little bit of bible and for years called it devotion so we need to step back and say where is syncretism happening in our own lives our own little spiritual concoction i'll take some culture i'll take some spirituality kind of put it in the mix Stir it up, a little bit of Bible, my own way of doing things. God understands. He's a God of love. He gets me. And that's our devotion. And it's dangerous. I think it's important for us to, as we're reading the story, ask ourselves, where have we just kind of gone along with our own preferences rather than bowing to what God says in his word? Well, then we read verse 8 where they find the book of the law. Now, what was this book? Was it some, some think it was the book of Deuteronomy. Others think it was the whole uh, uh, Torah, the first five books of the Bible. It, it certainly was, was part of that, if not all of that. The word book or scroll is mentioned several times. There's this emphasis on what's been found. There's this weightiness here. It's important. And like a good drama in verse 10, we're left, even if just for a second, wondering, okay, they found this book and it's being read to the king, now how will he respond? And that's where we were left. God's word had been found. It wasn't hidden, it had been lost, neglected. The high priest finds it, 
brings it, and it's read to the king. But what does he do? Well, second, a responsive heart is found. Let's keep going. Verse 11. When the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his robes. He gave these orders to Hilkiah, the the priest, Ahiakim, son of Shaphan, Akbor, son of Micaiah, Shaphan, the secretary, and Azaiah, the king's attendant. Go and inquire of the Lord for me and for the people and for all Judah about what is written in the book that has been found. Great is the Lord's anger that burns against us because those who have gone before us have not obeyed the words of this book. They have not acted in accordance with all that is written there concerning us. Oh, Hilkiah, the, the priest, Ahiakim, Akbor, Shaphan, and Azaiah went to sp- uh, speak to the prophet Huldah who was the wife of, of Shalom, son of Tikva, the son of Haras. Why, why did I pick this text? All these people. And Haras was the keeper of the wardrobe. Okay, good to know. He kept the wardrobe. There's details here. She, she lived, who lived? Huldah. Huldah, don't forget. She lived in Jerusalem in the new quarter. She said to them, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Tell the man who sent you to me, this is what the Lord says. I'm going to bring disaster on this place and its people according to everything written in the book uh, the king of Judah has read. Because they have forsaken me and burned incense to other gods and aroused my anger by all the idols their hands have made. My anger will burn against this place and will not be quenched. Tell the king of Judah who sent you to inquire of the Lord, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says concerning the words you have heard. Because your heart was responsive and you humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard what I have spoken against this place and its people, that they, should, that they would become a curse and would be laid waste. And because you tore your robes and wept in my presence, I also have heard you, declares the Lord. Therefore, I will gather you to your ancestors and you will be buried in peace. Your eyes will not see all the disaster I'm going to bring on this place. So they took her answer back to the king. And we'll pause there. A responsive heart is found in King Josiah. God's word finds a hearing heart. He didn't dismiss it. You know, a few years ago, I received uh, the worst case scenario survival handbook. You ever see this? It's, it's how to survive things like uh, an attack of killer bees or how to safely jump from a three-story building into a dumpster or how to jump from a moving car or how to survive if you just happen to step in a quick st- quicksand. This is very important. Um, <laughs> now, what I found interesting in this book, at the beginning, it had a warning in all caps. Do not attempt to undertake any of the activities described in this book. And I thought to myself, Really? So you're telling me that when a shark comes to attack me, I shouldn't stab it in its gills like you're telling me to in the book. Of course, I'm going to do it. I'm going to stab that shark in its gills. Or you're telling me when I approach a mountain lion, I'm not going to open up my jacket and make myself look really big and scream like the book tells me to. Of course I am. I could go on, but I won't. (laughs) The Bible doesn't tell us, do not attempt any of the activities described in this book. But we often read it that way as if it's simply an opinion to respond to when and if we get around to it. Do you notice how Josiah responded? He, he tore his robes. This is an expression of 
of angst, of repentance, of humility. He heard God's word and it, it humbled him. He trembles. His heart is responsive. His actions are clear. He's distressed. He's broken. There's an awareness that what's just been read is not only true, it's directed at him and his nation. It's relevant. Do you look at God's word as relevant? You know, so Josiah asks Hilkiah and others to find out what this means for them, to further investigate, to inquire of the Lord for me and for all Judah. There's been such disregard, such indifference for the word of God, and Josiah knew that this meant judgment for the nation. It meant exile. At this point in the nation of Israel's history, it's important for you to know you had Israel and you had Judah. The nation was divided. But by that time, the nation of Israel had already been led into captivity. And now Judah, there's this promise of judgment and exile. God would, through their exile, lead them uh, to a place of repentance. But it, it, will, it, was very, uh, it, it was a very difficult experience in judgment. So Josiah's reading this, and he understands through the law that they had disregarded God's word, they had been indifferent to it, and he knew what this meant for them. And he tore his robes. He heard the words. Uh, what about you? Do you hear these words? Are you able to hear these words? Do you take them personally? Do they move you to a place of repentance, to a place of wanting to change? Do you see it as something from God to you and for your good, ultimately for your good? Or is there disregard? Is there, has there been indifference or neglect or forgetfulness? Are you treating it as an optional add-on, kind of giving a head nod at best, like, okay, yeah. We can easily assume we know God's word, we understand it, we're obeying it. It's important for us to pause. And I can't think of a better time than at the end of a year, looking into 2020, to pause and evaluate how responsive really are we to God's revealed will for our life? How responsive are we to God's word? They tracked down Hulda. I don't know if she was formerly a designer at Ikea, but uh, they know, we know very little about her. Um, but she had authority to speak for God and interpret the scroll that they had discovered. And you know, she didn't hold back. Judgment is going to happen, and for good reason, but it's going to be postponed. And then just grace is expressed towards Josiah, and we see God's character just fall off the page. The Lord through Huldah says, because your heart was responsive, because you humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard the word, because you tore your robes and you wept in my presence, I have heard you, Josiah. And can we stop and just let that sink in for a moment? How sweet is that? How sweet is that that Josiah is being uh, told by God, I've heard you. I've seen how you responded to my word. It produced a response in Josiah. God's word produced a response in Josiah that brought out a response in God towards Josiah. We don't serve an indifferent God. We don't serve an aloof God. We serve a personal God who cares about how we're responding to his word. So what kind of impression does the word of God leave in your heart? You ever try to put your name or your handprints in, in clay or in cement? 
you know, your neighbor is doing some work. <laughs> you sneak over at night and you write your initials. <laughs> You've never done that. It only works if, if the cement is soft. The softer the heart, the greater the impression. I want God's name, I want his fingerprints all over my heart. I want a responsive heart. Major attention is placed on Josiah's response in this story. Why? It's so rare. This kind of response is rare from a king, unfortunately. His response is unusual acceptance and anguish, as one author puts it. Unusual acceptance and anguish over God's word. And it's exactly what God wants us to do, to tremble at his word. In Isaiah 66, verse 2, it says, These are the ones I look on with favor. Those who are humble and contrite in spirit and who tremble at my word. Who, who don't just read, you don't just read the word and you're like, ah, who cares? You know, checking it off. Moving on. No, you, you read it and you tremble. You read it and there are times that you're reading this and you're just, you're encountering someone who is wholly other than you. He's completely perfect and righteous and just and that should cause you to tremble. It should cause you to, and, and it should cause me to stand in awe, to recognize God's holiness and his justice, but also his goodness and his love. Josiah would be spared the horror of watching his nation destroyed and led into exile. But notice what Josiah doesn't do. He doesn't stop the reform. I right, hey, stop bringing all the updates to the temple. Exile's coming. Judgment's coming. I'm just going to, you know, kick my feet up, do nothing. Because it's inevitable. So why try to change anything? I'm good, but this nation is done for. That wasn't his attitude. What kind of vision do you have for a future you're unsure about? Josiah does everything in his power to lead his nation to true repentance. And that leads to our final point. The greatest reform ever, but it's not enough. Let's pick up in chapter 23. The king called together all the elders of Judah in Jerusalem. He went up to the temple of the Lord with the people of Judah, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the priests and the prophets. All the people from the least to the greatest. Here's what he did. He read. He read. He read in the hearing all the words of the book of the covenant which has been found in the temple of the Lord. The king stood by the pillar and renewed the covenant in the presence of the Lord to follow the Lord and keep his commands, statutes, and decrees with all his heart and all his soul, thus confirming the words of the covenant written in this book. Then all the people pledged themselves to the covenant. The king ordered Hilkiah the high priest, the priest next in rank, and the doorkeepers to remove from the temple of the Lord all the articles made for Baal and Asherah and the starry host. He burned them outside Jerusalem in the fields of the Kidron Valley and took the ashes to Bethel. Now let's fast forward to verse 21. The king gave this order to all the people. Celebrate the Passover to the Lord your God. Do you remember the Passover feast? It was a celebration of God's faithful deliverance of the children of Israel out from slavery of Egypt. 
And the king is saying, celebrate the Passover to the Lord your God as it is written in the book of the covenant, neither in the days of the judges who led Israel nor in the days of the kings of Israel and the king of Judah had any such Passover been observed. But in the 18th year of, the king, of king Josiah, this Passover was celebrated to the Lord in Jerusalem. Furthermore, Josiah got rid of the mediums and the spiritists, the household gods, the idols, and all the other detestable things seen in Judah and Jerusalem. This he did to fulfill the requirements of the law written in the book that Hilkiah the priest had discovered in the temple of the Lord. Ah, neither before nor after Josiah was there a king like him who turned to the Lord as he did with all his heart and with all his soul and with all his strength in accordance with the law of Moses. Let's pause there. The greatest reform ever. So what comes next after he heard the word and his heart was responsive, what comes next is humble leadership. It's a powerful scene. It's a holy moment at the beginning of chapter 23 when Josiah is standing before the gathered nation and he, he reads the covenant, the book of the covenant, and he's standing uh, at the pillar where kings before him had stood. He goes to the place of God's presence and he calls God's people together and he reads God's word to them. And I love this scene for so many reasons. We get a glimpse of a king who meant it, a man of conviction, a man who was humbled and believed in, in, in God's word for what it said. He was convinced that it was true. And what does he do? He reads. He reads it to them so that they would hear it for themselves. The one who had all authority the king, he points, to, he points them to the one who holds all authority, greater authority. He brings them to the source. Church, that's our responsibility. That's our privilege. As we discover God, as we see him in his holy word, we're not meant to keep it to ourselves. Fathers, listen, we have the privilege, mothers, to, to, to read the word of God to our children, with our children. It was... Uh, Christmas Eve, all right? We had just had our, uh, our, our service. I was tired. We're going home. I'm thinking, you know, but there was all this preparation uh, for the next day and thinking about presents. Actually, no, it was, the, it was Christmas, Eve, it was Christmas uh, night. Anyway, my point is this. I was tired. I didn't want to do anything. I just wanted to go to bed. But I thought, here is a very important holiday where we just spend a lot of time exchanging gifts and eating food. I got to read to my kids. Yeah, they, I, could, I could make the excuse they heard the message on Christmas Eve. They don't want to hear me again. But I, I got out the Bible, put it on my bed, and I thought, all right, guys, come on in. We just laid on the bed. It wasn't anything spectacular. I just, I want to read this to you guys. I think it's appropriate. So we read a portion of the story of Jesus being born and the shepherds. And I just, I wanted us to be recentered on what we were really celebrating. That's all I did, just read to them. King Josiah is reading the word. It's our responsibility to do this with others. How will people come to a knowledge of who Jesus is when we take them to the source? Isn't that so fun? Have you ever sat with someone who's never read a gospel before and read a gospel with them? You see their, the wheels turn in and, and that their eyes light up and all these questions are coming out. You get to 
read the gospel through uh, their lens, through their eyes. And it's so exciting. There's no question that they could bring that isn't a good question. It's like, wow, okay, I never thought of that. You don't have to be afraid of their questions. You're just reading it. You're just showing them. You're just bringing them to the source so that they can encounter the God of the Bible, not some God of our own making or imagination. This is the one I'm br- I want you to see. Oh, that's what I, w- I pray we're about, people of the Word. That we intentionally are going to the Word, disciplined, reading it ourselves, being moved by it, having a responsive heart, and inviting others to see. Look at the God of the Bible. Look at the God of the Bible. See who He is. Delight in Him. I, I want you to know Him. Do you feel intimidated by the Scriptures? Maybe you, you say, I want to be devoted. I mean, it's a, it's a big book. It's got like these gold edges and funny-sounding pages, uh, you know, made out of tissue paper. Uh, wh- where do I start? Oh, just pick a book. Start in the Gospel. Learn about Jesus. Go back to Genesis. Read the first 11 chapters. Get a story of the beginning. And then go to a New Testament letter. Just, just explore this library that we get to hold and treasure that we have many uh, versions of. Just take it and read. Let's push against that feeling of intimidation. Let's believe God can meet us in that place. Let's set aside time and do it. Well, he didn't only read to them. Uh, he also celebrated the Passover like no other king before. And so we have uh, where he read and, and the celebration of the Passover, and then in between, those are like bookends, and in between there's this lengthy list of reforms that he brought. He's removing idols from the temple. He's booting out pagan priests. He's pulverizing idols. He's wrecking, even defiling high places of perverse worship because pulverizing wasn't enough. And, and he's just pulling down and purging and defiling going on, and he's doing it all. Serious reform. These reforms, though, lead to what I call a brick wall. Look with me in verse 27 of chapter 23. 26. Chapter 23, verse 26. Nevertheless, the Lord did not turn away from the heat of his fierce anger which burned against Judah because of all that Manasseh had done to arouse his anger. So the Lord said, I will remove Judah also from my presence as I removed Israel. And I will reject Jerusalem, the city I chose, and this temple about which I said, my name shall be there. Not the ending we were hoping for. We discover it's just not enough. The most extensive reforms, the most resolved king you've ever read about, the greatest Passover, and it's not enough. Josiah, his faith was legit. It was real. But we find that the nation's faith was hollow. In fact, just a few verses later, and you can read some of the details in 2 Chronicles, but an archer's arrow takes Josiah down. The details of that are found in 2 Chronicles. He goes out to battle uh, the king of Egypt when he wasn't supposed to, Josiah does, and an archer's arrow takes Josiah down. Now, just because you follow God's ways, it doesn't mean your life is going to uh, become or end how you think. That's important for us to hear. Just because you follow God's ways doesn't mean your life will become or end the way you think. Were Josiah's reforms for nothing? No. Josiah's life is symbolic in so many ways. 
There is something more to come. Israel needed another son of David, a greater king, one that we celebrated already on Christmas Eve, one that we celebrated, we're celebrating today, a divine king. Jesus is the better Josiah. He leads us into a better covenant who invites us to follow him and who enables us to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, with all our strength. Jesus is the word of God made visible, made flesh. So here we are heading into a new decade and and maybe the word has felt hidden to you, but not anymore. And maybe you want to just change your life and you're like, all right, I'm going to fix this. I'm going to do this. I'm I'm going to stop drinking. I'm going to stop smoking. I'm going to exercise. I'm going to eat better. Behavior modification isn't enough, though. I'm going to keep going to church. Uh, Those are fine things to do. But if our heart's not right, if our heart's not responsive, if our heart's not behind it, if we're not looking to Jesus as our hope and our redemption, it won't last. It's not enough. It's hollow. Do you have a responsive heart to God's word? Do you want one? Ask for one, and then ask for the conviction and the courage to walk it out. Now, maybe as this story was being read, you wanted to stand up with Josiah. You're like, man, I love this guy. You wanted to stand up with him. You wanted to uh, obey. You wanted to be a part of that reform. Well, sorry, you can't. That was a long time ago. He's gone. But you can stand up with Jesus. King. Jesus, the better Josiah, the better covenant, the better promises, and the strength to walk it out. Do you have a responsive heart moving into 2020? Let's pray for one. Let's pray now. Father, thank you for this time together. Would you give us a responsive heart Would you help us respond with humility and courage to your word? Would you help us to believe that your word is for us and for our good? Would you help us push against the feelings of intimidation when it comes to reading your word? Would you help us, Lord, to be uh, more intentional? Uh, Fill our hearts with faith for what you're able to do in and through your word as we bring others along and point them to your word. Help us all to be individuals and a community that is so confident in your word, Lord, we are eager to read it with others. Do this in us, we pray, as we head into this new year. All for your glory. In Christ's name we ask, amen.